Ghost of Broken Los Angeles, California. We do this every Thursday at 4 p.m. Uh, if you know anything about me, you know I really appreciate an expert and a subject matter master and somebody who's focused in an area. And actually, I was watching somebody else's YouTube, and I saw this attorney. And I said, I like this guy. I want to talk to him. And I called and introduced myself. We had a nice chat and video and invited to be a guest uh, on uh, uh, this show today. Uh, Josh Rimmers is a probate and estate planning attorney in Northern Orange County, Brea, California, next door to my former hometown of La Habra. It's another reason why I liked him right away. Joshua, thanks so much for being on a call today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So tell us about your path to probate and estate planning specifically. I mean, I understand people at a law school, but what was it about uh, probate and estate planning that brought you? Because you really, it seemed like that's your focus. Unlike a lot of trees do a lot of things, that's really what you're, you're jumped into. What about that was attractive for you? You know, um, I, I kind of fell into it with a professor in law school, guided me and said, I, I think this might be your cup of tea and your personality. And the moment I first learned about wills and trusts and taxes, it was black and white. Uh, I it was natural and and I realized this is the best uh, a good way to help people lots of ways to help people in the law uh, but this is a good way that that people need every single day and I love it it's a, I'm able to have compassion talk to people about what's going to happen what what did already happen to their parents and um, it's it's just an amazing thing that I do I really love what I do Real quick housekeeping, this is a live Zoom call. If you want to participate, we'd love to have you ask questions, raise your hand, put in the chat box. If you're watching on the live stream, we live stream it on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. I'm watching the comment section there. Feel free to ask a question, uh, comment, uh, of course, like and subscribe if you like it. Uh, but we can sign up to be on the Zoom live at probateweekly.com. And then we'll also send your reminders. You can watch us on YouTube as when we live stream it as well. Glad to have you participate either way. So, you know, Josh, I think the thing that I like about you and, and uh, right away, at least for me, is kind of like the minimum, uh, and then you go beyond that, is that it be an, an area that you focus in, right? You do probate and probate litigation and estate planning, and there's a couple of sub-pieces to that, but that's really all you're really doing, right? That, that kind of intersection of those concepts. So how do you describe your practice? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say the crux is a trust. Everything else, uh, Plinko's out from there. So we have, of course, estate planning, and that's always trust-based or generally trust-based. We have trust litigation and estate litigation, and it's all trust-based. And, and trusts is all contained in the probate code. So it's all one set of laws. So everything kind of surrounds that uh, elder abuse and undue influence and mm -hmm. um, medical planning. These are all kind of subsets and, and sounds like a lot of practice areas, but they all generally surround the probate code is the crux of what we do is the trust or not having a trust is the part of the trust the probate fits under right and so one of the questions i ask um i, I and i i know you're answering this but i'd like to share it with people to call some attorneys only do trust and trust administration others only do litigation feeling they're those are two separate and some like doing both i know you do both explain why you feel that helps you for your practice Absolutely. So I am uh, fairly unique. There are a few of us out there that, that do both the planning and litigation over the trusts, but it's very rare. Um, so uh, a few years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, one of my trust uh, administrations was, was um, getting challenged and there was an opposing counsel. And uh, before I just referred it out and got scared of litigation, I thought to myself, I know the law, so, so why don't I talk to this guy? And 
after a few months of, of litigating that case, I realized I know what I'm doing. I, I went up against the 40 year guy and, and this was pretty straightforward. And uh, then I started litigation and my very first case happened to go all the way to trial and we won that trial. And uh, since then we've conducted about a hundred, maybe a little over hundred litigations. Uh, we've only lost one trial, uh, not to mislead the public. Many, many cases do settle. In fact, the vast majority should settle. Um, but on those that do go to trial, we're, we're very efficient at what we do. Now, now seeing the, the trials and what people allege and, and how discovery and evidence comes out makes me a, a much better planner than I was and, and than most other attorneys. I know exactly what people are going to fight out over as an example. Um, very common uh, fact pattern with estate plans is putting a child as a joint tenant on your bank account to help pay your bills. That is probably one of the number one reasons we're in court litigating is the joint tenant accounts and one child benefited more and siblings don't like that. Um, so that that has now educated me to guide clients away from that as, as an, an example. But being the litigator makes me a much better planner. I agree. I know, I know when I saw uh, another attorney in Long Beach who's a, a prominent litigator, they also state planning, explained why they work better and he was he had a particular topic and he showed how certain verbiage in his documents, his template, let's say, was as a result of litigation he was involved with. And he would see you know, over and over again this problem and decided to prevent it with the documents. Ideal, ideally, the document is meant to eliminate or reduce litigation, right? That's the whole point of it. Now, there's a couple of big misconceptions in your space. I'm going to ask you a question because I'd love to hear you say it. So I don't have to say it all the time. One is people say to me all the time, well, trust avoids litigation. Absolutely not. Uh, now, one of the biggest things I, I tell every almost every person I speak with in a consultation is anybody can fight you for anything. The perfect example is uh, one of the people that that's watching us right now. I can sue them for punching. me. I don't know the person. I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. I don't even know your, their names, but I could make a deal with it, go to court, I will lose, and I might even pay your attorney's fees. But anybody can sue for anything, but a trust can uh, put as many roadblocks between a challenge uh, as we can. Um, and, and part of that is setting it up with a lawyer. Um, a lot of the trusts that are getting challenged in court are the LegalZoom style plans, and, and I won't blame LegalZoom themselves, but several do-it-yourself plans are in court. Right. Well, and I think the other part is related to that misconception is that the proper plan is all you have to have. It takes it tries to take out of the fact that these are human beings and emotions. And it just seems to me that you have the same estate plan and the proper communication will avoid litigation. The wrong litigation, I'm sorry, the wrong communication will be gasoline on the fire, right? And so how do you see your role as attorney in that process? Well, I'll tell you, that's tied for the uh, number one reason we're in court also, lack of communication. Yeah. Uh, not getting copies of the trust after parents pass away, not understanding what money's there, not disclosing the joint accounts because they're trying to get away with something. Uh, all of those things in communication is why we're in court. The opposite though is absolutely true. It's the wrong communication. I've seen trustees tell their, their siblings blatantly wrong legal advice. Um, and uh, that's not okay. So communication is key, especially when we're setting up the estate plan. It's always up to the parents, but if 
the entire family knows what's going on, that can eliminate fights too. Things that are done in secret generally will be public in court later. Interesting. Um, one of the other common situations that come up for us as real estate agents that I guess comes to us before comes the attorney is somebody passes, the property is deeded in the trust, but nobody can find the documents. So you must uh, get that phone call, not of your trusts, hopefully, correct. you never really know, but you hope your clients are instructed properly. But I know it happens where other people must come to you and say, what do we do? The property's in a trust, but we can't find a piece of paper. Uh, you know, what, It's not filed the county, it's not filed publicly, generally speaking. What are some of the options, or are there any? Yeah, so, so first step is, is explaining our procedure, which should be standard procedure amongst lawyers. When we set up the documents, we send the originals home with the clients, but we keep, keep a full scan. So when you're in the hospital, you don't have to look for that binder that's been dusty on your shelf. We'll fax it, we'll email it to the nurse or whoever needs it. We'll send wow. it to your banker. So your attorney should have a full and complete copy of, of your estate plan. Once we're in a scenario where we cannot find it, there are a few things we do. So, so the very first thing I, I always suggest is, let's pull the title to the real estate, on the top left of that title, sometimes it tells us the name of the law firm who, who prepared the deed. If we can go there, hopefully that solves the issue. Um, oftentimes attorneys are retired or deceased and we don't know where their practice went necessarily. So sometimes it is a dead end. Um, so the age of your attorney, you should consider. That, that is a, a consideration, not the number one, but a consideration and, and making sure you always have your own file. Um, the there is a court process. If we can't find a trust, we can go uh, into court and do a petition for a lost trust. Now we'd have to have some sort of evidence or knowledge what the trust said. So if a child or a few children have read it before and can testify to that, we, we might have something there. Ultimately, if we can't find the trust, we're gonna end up in probate and explaining to the judge why we can't find the trust and why probate is the right answer. In which case, doesn't matter what the trust may or may not have said, it will now go equally to the surviving children. Got it. Which is which way I say the way I would say that is it's kind of like going to the DMV to divide up your parents' assets. It's just not as customer service oriented as the DMV is, just for whatever hair. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, and yet I trust if you have one, real estate's a fairly simple process, right? You need the trust certification basically is only document if the if the um, uh, trustee or the successor trustee are living and appointed in the document. It's usually no more than just you provide the documents to the title company and they are able to run with that and move forward on the property. Have you ever seen any problems with that process? Not not particularly. Now, now some problems do relate to the chain of title prior. Maybe some attorneys did things Correct. wrong or people try to do it themselves. There, there's often chain of title problems. Correct. Um, there's often uh, or sometimes trust names are wrong. Somebody just called it the Smith Family Trust, but that wasn't what it was called. It was the Joe and Susie Smith Family Trust. Right. You know, and, and so trust names are wrong. I, I've even had a case where the date of the trust was wrong on the deed by one day mm. and we could not clear title and it cost thousands of dollars to fix that in court. If a lawyer had done it, there would have been somebody to blame. Unfortunately, that, that particular one was a product of do-it-yourself planning. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Okay. I, I just hate to think being in the real estate agent on that deal, find out the very, because you wouldn't find out at the very end. You had the trust cert. They tell, oh yeah, we have it here. We have it here. And they finally turned in and somebody 
at the county or somebody at the title company looks at it goes hey the date's off by one and now you're back to square zero in some cases right and and one very important thing to to remember is anything can be recorded so just because it got recorded on the property and there's a barcode on the top right, right. doesn't mean that's that's good doesn't mean we're going to clear title that just means the county accepted it they don't look at the chain and make sure this is the right perfect uh solution they just say does this meet the requirements to be recorded if so record um so yeah yeah um and then i know so it's interesting you say that you keep a copy of the trust documents Mo not all attorneys do that i want to say I mean, i've interviewed a bunch i want to say certainly less than the majority do that i think it's a great service i think as, as a customer i think well why would you not do that and who would hire an attorney that wouldn't but you do know that the majority of your colleagues feel like I prepare it, here it is, good luck, call me back when you're ready to implement it, uh, but until then you're on your own. So what was it that made you make that decision to take on that responsibility? You know, realizing people get injured at awkward times. People get are in the hospital at midnight. We're not always gonna be open when they need a copy of their document. So when, when we scan it, it's always available to the client. So that's one reason why it's not just in my system, it's readily available to clients 24 seven through a link. But the, the precipice of, of me starting to scan was that exact scenario, clients calling and needing a document and realizing, well, we have the signature pages, maybe we should have the full document very, very early working for a, another law firm. And that made me realize it takes an extra 10 minutes to scan and it's a huge benefit to the client. Uh, it it's also just just a selfishly good business sense. You you should know the documents you prepared and created, um, because the the word document that you created for a client might not always be the final signed version. Sometimes there's there's changes to that document the moment before we sign, and you should have a copy of that final version. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I I, I think it's such an important part. I know in my business, I try to do things that other agents don't. Because I always say my job is help the customer. I get paid selling the house, but that's part of the reflection of the overall value and trying to get caught up in what you know what is real estate work and what is not. But what can I help the customer with? Um, you know, another one that I think we talked about, uh, but maybe not is the the uh, putting the assets in the trust, right? So I, I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen this. I, I'm guilty of doing this personally. Uh, you go and you get that great binder. Uh, which is great, looks great, high quality material, all the documents are in there signed, notarized, everything's ready to go. You go home and the attorney says, says oh, by the way, here's the deed to do this, here's the uh, instructions to this bank account, to that company, to this company, get all that done and then you're home free. Okay, great, and you're so exhausted, you put the binder in your briefcase or you put it in your uh, bookshelf somewhere and the assets don't get put in the trust, the property doesn't get deeded in the trust. So question, do you, manage the process for your customers or how do you help them through that sticky wicket? Yeah, so so we're very customized with that. So so some clients understand the instructions, will take it themselves and, and especially uh, when cost is a factor, I get it, it, it you can do it yourself. The, the law is set up to do this yourself and it's really not that complex. Unfortunately, it's the banks and financial advisors, uh, not the advisors themselves, the, the big guys controlling them, uh, set up these policies that go away above and beyond the law and complicate. There's nothing in the law that you have to have this thick stack of, of paperwork. Now, there are banking procedures and regulations, but 
they complicate it unnecessarily sometimes. You, you know, Bill, you're, you're exactly right. You're, you're referencing a binder like this. This is a typical estate plan that I prepare. Really, really, really thick. And it happens almost every day where we set up the, the, all the real estate we take care of, but it's just not practical for a, a client to hire an attorney for us to go to the banks with you and to go see your financial advisor. Also, the banks don't talk to us. They need to talk to you anyways. So I would just be there billing for no reason. So um, I give great clean instructions on what to do with clients. We were there with questions. Our flat fee for doing estate planning includes all of that. Call me with questions. Call me with your banker's response so I can tell you what to say. I will write letters. Um, they just typically don't talk to us as much as I hope they would. And, and so do you um, do the deeding of of the real estate or is that something again it's optional there's a fee and, and i would recommend anybody to do it if you go through the whole trouble getting a plan put together please pay the extra fee uh you, the filing fee is the filing fee pay a professional to get it done uh, and as a real estate agent i say well, i'll follow up and pull a copy of the quarter deed when it's recorded three days later online so you can verify it actually went through do you offer you offer that service i guess was your answer for a fee? absolutely yes yeah. we we do all the real estate um uh out of state we we coordinate with law firms or corporations to, that, that'll handle out of state deeds uh, we are licensed in some other states but we definitely take care of all of real estate that's the number one thing that we need to do as the lawyer the other thing, a uh, dirty little secret that I'll, I'll tell your listeners here um, that my, my lawyer friends might not like that I say this, but it is worth the money to hire a lawyer. Part of a lawyer's fees are built in the, the malpractice. And that is what you're buying too. You're not just buying documents and a lawyer's brain. You're buying the security and peace of mind that this is working right. And when you go to Walmart and get the deed, yeah, you're saving a bunch of money but you're just gonna end up costing your kids 10 times that amount of money later. Um, and I see it time and time every single day. Now, true confession, um, I um, opened a securities account about a year ago. Uh, my son-in-law works for a wealth management company. And so we moved a good amount of our savings, not all of it, not maybe half of it. Good chunk, a lot of money. I'd be pissed if I lost it. Um, <laughs> and I opened the account in the name of me and my wife. At the other institution, it was in our trust. I even know how I know because I transferred the money into our bank and I transferred the bank into the new institution. And so I'm on the phone with this wealth manager and he asked me this question. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I teach about this stuff all the time. How do I open now? I do know there's beneficiaries and securities, and it's not the same as if it was in a bank account. It was just embarrassing. Uh, and I had to pull the binder out and send it to him. But I think the thing that I'm clear on is that we all need to review these things periodically. Um, what do you recommend and how do you effectuate that with your clients? Yeah, great, great, great point. So, um, and, and you know, that happens lots of times. So, so just to piggyback off your, your joint tenancy um, deal here is um, you can absolutely solve that with beneficiary designations. The best preferred method would be you change the owner to your trust. Unfortunately, once you already have an account established, most banks and advisors will probably tell you something like, we can't just change the owner to your trust. There's anti-terrorism laws, there's yes. regulations. Yes. But we can close the account and open a new one. Right. Now, I don't mean to bash on the big banks all the time because there is some truth to that. There, there absolutely is these anti-terrorism laws and, and regulations. But um, uh, 
there are alternate choices. So if you have a lot of automatic income and outgoings into this account we're trying to change, my advice is don't mess up your life, leave it alone. Right. Instead, make the beneficiary of that account your trust. And it'll still get to your trust, still same result. The only real difference is twofold. When you pass away, we have to wait 40 days for your trustee to get access instead of immediately the next day, well, not the end of the world, um, but during your incapacity. If something is in your trust, your trustee can manage it while you're sick. But if something's not in your trust, now your power of attorney is the one who will manage it. In good, thoughtful plans, they're generally the same people. So it really doesn't matter using document A or B. It, it, it's just paperwork. But in some plans, they're different people and they might have wildly different financial minds. And all of a sudden we're fighting over uh, mom and dad's money while they're sick in a hospital and, and that's not okay. Um, so consistency is also key, just uh, bringing that up. Um, but I, I regularly advise my clients, move assets to the trust. If not, change the beneficiary. And for all new accounts from here on out, try to open them in the trust. I just imagined that I would be caught with money in the wrong spot and somebody would find out and, uh, and uh, publicize that become kind of embarrassing because I teach this and it, it, it's all complicated. Like I have a remnant IRA that we didn't put in the trust because it was in the IRA for that reasons you talked about. And now we want to move it to a new institution and they're giving us hoops and hoops to go through. I said, well, I know if I just liquidate the IRA, have 60 days, one is liquidate it, put it in my bank account, write the check to the new account. Well, yeah, but what if something happens in between all that, right? So there's always those things. So, okay. Um, okay That's exactly right. And I, I do want to mention real quick, Bill, that, that uh, you know, not, not every advice is going to be tailored for a client. So, if I ever say all accounts going to the trust, that's not true. Every client's different. There are some general rules. For example, any qualified account like a retirement account might not be a good idea to go to your trust, but every family is different. And sometimes taxes are more important than, than keeping it in the trust or vice versa. And so very, very custom advice there. And um, I did see a question uh, earlier on my one of my comments on I store documents, there is no law to that, that attorneys are required to store documents. There's no law that we have to create a, to, to hold them for a certain period of time. Now, it's a good idea for us to do it. There, there's some ethical rules that we need to follow. But um, in my practice, I'm going to hold them for until I retire or die because data is cheap now. You know, a two terabyte yeah. hard drive doesn't cost much money anymore, which which uh, for older attorneys, there is a reason why they don't have the full trust scan. Technology has changed. Right, and, and it also the practice changed because the your tool got a lot more powerful, right? When I talk to older attorneys, almost without exception, they won't keep a copy of anything because they'll say, well, anybody could change it after the fact. And that's true. But the truth is they're talking about a time when I, my father was an attorney and, and one of his partners did wills. And I remember they had this, closet with the wills it was like a fireproof thing because that's all they had and they kept stuff for people in those days uh, it was a big responsibility to take that on and and matrons didn't want to do that so today you could put on google drive and share it with somebody password protected or encrypted or whatever and and i know there's a, there's services also that some attorneys use that have like store your documents and share them online and protection and things like that that's exactly right. And we, we use one of those services. It's it's the most secure we can we can get as as lawyers for documents. Of course, nothing's bulletproof. Anything can be hacked, but it's as, as good as we can do in, in our current uh, today America day. But I would say as a yeah. as a customer and, and as a real estate agent, 
I, I work with a lot of different attorneys. I would say to me, it's a minimum standard that they should have the documents to help the customer when they need it. It just seems to me as I keep everything as a real estate agent for that reason, people call me 10 years later. And if I did the deal, I want them to call me 10 years later. I don't want them to call my competitor because I don't have it. I want them to assume I have it and call me. That's, that's the business room. Absolutely. And now when, when people call us and say, I need to make a change, we don't have to wait several weeks to do an appointment and pop open the binder and try to remember what we did. I pull open the PDF while I'm on that initial phone call and say, let's talk. Nice. I have it open right here. Well, which one do you want to change? Nice. Yeah. Okay, let's do a little housekeeping. We're at the 25 minute mark here real quick. Um, this is probate weekly. We do this every Thursday at four o'clock p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. If you want to come in live on the Zoom call and ask questions, I see Kyle on the YouTube. Kyle, thanks for uh, going. <laughs> He's waiting for uh, for my hammer. Okay, Kyle's having some fun on the YouTube and uh, we'll catch up with that. But if you want to come in live and ask questions, come on the Zoom call, uh, go to probateweekly.com and get reminders. You also get reminders to join in on the YouTube. You can continue the conversation on, on Facebook at our Probate Weekly group. We have about 3,000 members. Uh, we have referrals, people looking for attorneys across the country, looking for realtors across the country, um, and then other probate content. And feel free to post your probate-related or estate planning-related content on that group. We'd love to have you participate there. It's a great way to help all of us get more views. We also have a, a poll on there. And this week's poll question is, what source of data do you use for building your business? Just love to share and see what people are using. And uh, this one never heard of before. So uh, feel free to participate in that poll as well. Uh, if you want more information about me and my programs, link my link tree, linktr.e slash Bill Gross has all of my programs. Upcoming, I have a masterclass on email marketing for real estate uh, for $97. I'm going to show you how you can 16 times your effectiveness of your email marketing campaign. And I remind our guest today, um, um, oh, that's my spot here. Where am I, where am I pitching at here? One second. Oh. You know, Josh, I'm so sorry. I lost your name, your uh, picture here. I wanted to put it down. Uh, there we go, Josh Ramirez, look further down below. Okay. Uh, the little eye candy there for the ladies. Uh, Josh Ramirez is a, a, a state planning and probate attorney uh, based out of um, Brea, California, and it's uh, CaliforniaEstatePlanningServices.com. On the website there is the phone number, and we'll have those details in the show notes uh, below. Um, and then two other last things, if you're looking to do cold calling in LA County on pre-probates, I have a vendor who's offering the data for free. We can talk about that. Uh, send me an email or text, and we can talk about that in detail. And then next week, I'll be at the XPCon, our convention. So we'll be streaming one of our past episodes. We won't be live next week uh, on Thursday. Okay, so Joshua, let's pivot a little bit from estate planning. Let's do something that you, that you think I missed. I want to talk a little bit more about some of the niches in probate, and specifically elder abuse, because it seems like that comes up more and more as a real estate agent. I find that there are cases when, you know, customers, you know, um, uh, I meet with them and we talk and it's like they're not all there, but they're kind of there. So if you are going to, obviously you can't make an assessment, but if you're going to give legal advice to a realtor on how they should conduct themselves, where is a point at which they should say, hey, maybe we need somebody else to confirm this relationship uh, or maybe um, to take extra precautions? What would you recommend? Uh, so that we don't perform elder abuse and get a contract, but we can uh, be of service to the customer? That, that's a great question. Uh, okay, 
So the first thing I would start with is doctor's letters. When in doubt, ask them for a capacity letter from a doctor. Um, a doctor, it could be their primary physician, it could be a specialist neurologist, um, but a doctor just, and it's a simple sentence or two letter, it's, it's not a very lengthy one, literally one or two sentences, Miss so-and-so is my patient and, and she does have the full mental capacity to make legal and financial decisions. Something to that effect uh, would be sufficient. The second thing you can do is get a lawyer involved. Um, one of the, the interesting tidbits about estate planning lawyers is we do have some sense of control on, on determining capacity. So it really is up to the estate planning lawyer to determine whether the person in front of us has capacity. There's different levels of capacity depending on what document we're doing. Um, as an example, there's something called testamentary capacity. That's if you're setting up a basic will and, and sometimes a basic trust. All you need to do to set up a basic will is know what you own, the fact that this is a document that talks about what happens when you die, and then we have to understand your family and in your family relationships. That can be found in probate code 6100.5. Um, so that's that's how we set up a will. And I go through that list and I determine if I believe they have capacity. I've rejected lots of people for, for not having capacity. Um, when in the gray area, it's, it's very difficult. That, that's where attorneys have a tough time. I find myself, on the one hand, my legal mind tells me when I can and can't do something. On my other hand, there's my practical mind. Well, this is going to go equal to the children or there's only one child. And, right. and what do we do? Unfortunately, the law doesn't allow us very much gray area and wiggle room. Somebody either has capacity or they don't. Mm -hmm. um, but the lawyer can be involved and determine that. Another great idea would be we can create a, a trust amendment uh, help having a child uh, be in charge or a new power of attorney to help sell real estate. And those documents we can determine capacity and then comfortably tell the realtor, I think we're good to go here or, or the opposite we're not good to go here. We need to do something else. Um, some, something else, which we'll, we'll get into, but there are always ways to help your parents when they've lost capacity. Now, that's the purpose of estate planning. So the most common case I get in is they didn't do proper planning. They don't have the safeguards in place. And mom or dad who's surviving agrees to somebody's contract hastily it's it's always hasty whether or not the capacity or not the common denominator to me is always they send a document that most people would say oh, that's a little complicated for me but they proved it and maybe maybe not on ideal terms and now they're under a contract and i'm looking at that saying "Ooh, um did they really know what they're doing now there's a difference between i guess being naive and uneducated versus not having capacity but there's sometimes those two blend together and i feel like and, you know, I'm sure you must see this. I see this all the time. Unscrupulous people kind of preying on that combination. They are, they're, a little, they're a little simple and they've diminished capacity. So after the fact, I imagine it's difficult to do much, right? If mom or dad signed a contract to sell property, um, it can be difficult. And if they're not going to cooperate, if they don't have a, a, a state plan in place or, you know, conservatorship in place, you really can't do much without their cooperation, right? That's exactly right. So, so in those scenarios, we get calls all the time, and and it's pretty much expressly told to us that capacity is a gray area, a gray area. So the first thing we do is we try to talk to that person. What do we think ourselves as the lawyers? If we do believe they know what they're doing, and and maybe they got scammed in the past, or or something was funky previously, but we're okay, 
we can sign documents. You know, a very common fact pattern that comes comes to my mind is UTIs and dementia. Very often kids will think, well, mom's lost her rocker. She's 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 got dementia and, and really severe Alzheimer's. And then just two short weeks later, after they've identified the issue and cleared up the UTI, we're back to where we were. And so capacity sometimes can be this little roller coaster. Traditionally, it is a slow decline down, but not always. Sometimes there's this roller coaster. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's, that's capacity. Now, in these scenarios of people getting scammed, it is the perfect storm. And the most common things I see in court is the triangle of, of three causes of action. And they always go hand in hand. The senior was unduly influenced by somebody. The senior was uh, elder abused by that same person. There are two different elements or causes of action. And that senior lacked capacity. Those three are almost the same three things that we're either suing for or somebody is getting sued for. Um, now the term very el elder abuse, the legal term, it, to me, it conjures, you know, the, at face value, it conjures up physical abuse, but really it's not, it's not what we're talking about. Describe a little bit what elder abuse means and then what you see in the practice. Yeah. So, so elder abuse can absolutely be financial elder abuse. And it's primarily taking or controlling somebody's assets who is over 65 and uh, overcoming their free will and the abuser somehow some way benefited or maybe their children benefited but there's some sort of benefit that's the yeah. basic uh, gist of elder abuse yeah. I, I love the fact that you said uh, hastily earlier bill because that is actually an element of elder abuse and undue influence that we bring up to the court right. was this done in haste uh, another one that comes to mind in secrecy and yeah. so oftentimes it's those contracts or deathbed trusts that were very fast and very secretive they called the lawyer Monday and they were signing by Wednesday. Right. We don't have that kind of time to do it that fast. <laughs> in our business, in real estate, typically people don't go from, you know, somebody approaches you to sell property to agreeing to sell it uh, that quickly, nor even, even off market deals, people think about it, they talk to family members, they compare prices, they ask a realtor, what do you think get for it? Not many people just sign a contract for a property without spending some time on it. And I, I just see these cases regularly where Somebody comes to them on kind of Monday and like by Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, and, and I had one case where, or one example where um, the customer had a penalty clause on the seller in this market, unbelievable. And it was like a, you know, X number of days past the closing date if you couldn't perform. And this, um, uh, the, the kids thought there was elder abuse. So they filed for conservatorship, which I think was the wrong way to fight it. I'm not an attorney, but to me, it seems a big bar to get to versus invalidating the contract but whatever. And as a result, they're pleading, the, the, the father's pleading, please approve the contract. I'm facing $195,000 in penalties on a $2 million piece of property. That's outrageous. I've never seen penalties on a seller ever in my career. I've done thousands of deals, but this senior 70 or 80 year old man, you know, with a couple of days notice has some law firm of, of Barracudas uh, putting into that. So I think the the answer there though is I didn't know the answer. It was down the road a little bit by the time it got to me. The family came up with, I think, an attorney who was not a specialist and said, Oh, the answer is let's put him in a conservatorship. And it just seems to me that that's a very high bar to get to versus litigating that contract was elder abuse. And but they didn't go to the right attorney. I don't think he really know even talked to him. I don't think he knew what he was doing. So the question is, we feel find these things. Is that, you know, is that something you would take that phone call and maybe consult with and get some facts? I mean, you're not going to commit to it, obviously, but is that the kind of thing that you get a phone call on? 
Absolutely. I take phone calls, whether it be from a realtor, from the, the child directly, we can chat through what would we do? What would it look like? Strategy, cost, timing, the whole shebang. We do give free consultations. Um, so, so I have those call conversations, you know, two, three times a day on average. We're, we're talking about that a lot. Wow. Um, and, and unfortunately, adding on that fact pattern, it's generally a widow or widower, generally yeah. a recent, yeah. recent death uh, within the last couple of years. In fact, even when widows and widowers come to us to make changes to their trust after their spouse died, I love to tell them, can you call me in a year? Can you give it some time and, and some room? Unless there's a reason and, and somebody's dying or, or you know, we're in our 90s or something, I try to give them some space because they need that time. Um, and unfortunately, not everybody's like that and people prey on it. Well, the elderly, I think that we have this explosion of, you know, combination of people getting older, people controlling property, medical care is kind of fragmenting a little bit, the process of care is more difficult. And so I just see this more and more and more. And I'm hoping those of us on the phone are real estate agents or investors who deal with customers, we can be the army in front of the attorneys to, to kind of ferret these out maybe before they become problems. And so it is my goal, not only to get everybody to get an estate plan done, proper one, but at the same time also to be at the front lines when we see elder abuse, uh, I don't know that we can ever eliminate it, but we can pay attention and get customers to the right attorney, not just to an attorney, because there's a big difference uh, in, in my experience. Right. Um, okay. right. Go back. You know, I, I wanted to, sorry, Bill, I, I just wanted to mention real, really briefly, um, as you mentioned, the, the abuse isn't always physical, but sometimes they go hand in hand. But typically, people aren't that bold anymore. It's a lot more pressure, undue influence, emotional abuse, not really physical abuse. But as it relates to financial abuse, by far, vast majority of our cases, meaning more than 90%, um, are internal family members. And it, it's even, even in that figure, vast majority is a child. One child. Uh, that, the one was the caregiver the child that was so good for all those years, right? Who, and nobody's who, looking. Who, who, who never left the house uh, after 40 years. Never left the house, doesn't have a job, and then somehow gets them to sign some documents to change everything in their favor. Right, right. And, and it's, it's so identify family identify if it's not children helping and it's not equal to the children why is their brother helping why is their sister-in-law helping um it's these outside family members too that are busy bodies and start to start to put their hands in the cookie jar unfortunately so so identify the family members i it, it's very rare that it's a professional us professionals are mostly honorable and ethical um so i generally give professionals the benefit of the doubt but but it can happen. We've, we've seen professionals, but please be on the lookout for family members. And happens all fun, the time. Funky things. Something doesn't smell right. Let's chat. If it doesn't pass the smell test, something's not right. I, I have a client. I wish I could help. You might be listening to a call who uh, his um, stepmother sold two properties by including them in the trust when they clearly did not belong in the trust. Some other dog company missed it and they're sold. Now they're insured, but to get to get a towel company to pay that, you gotta sue them. And that's a whole, that's a whole nightmare scenario. Uh, and here's a guy who's, you know, lives modestly, but is worth a fortune, but the state is all tied up in litigation. This stuff happens all the time. I just, the more you talk to customers, uh, the more I, I see those things. Um, I don't and know unfortunately, yeah, I just wanted to mention, and unfortunately the access to justice costs money. And, and when there's only a house involved that might've gotten stolen or, you know, the children don't have money because their inheritance got stolen from them. 
that's a very tough conversation. And, and as an emotional guy as I am, it, we still are lawyers and need to make some money. And, and unfortunately, it just costs money. And, and that's just a shame. But we do know lots of attorneys and low cost attorneys, and there's always an access to justice. And you don't always need a lawyer. The, the court system is designed for the public, too. So you can sometimes do things yourself. Well, also, again, we, we as realtors might be seeing these deals before they get to the attorney. I always thought the earlier you get it, the better. There's less damage done and less time, and you can help find the right solution. Too often, the case gets developed on the road, and and they kind of get you know the the uh, shark gets their teeth set in. It's very difficult to get the teeth out. So, um, okay, let me go back a little bit. There's a question from Christine. Thank you, Christine. Uh, she has a paid-off mortgage. Just received a deed of full reconveyance, the properties and the trust, what do I do now? Christine, if you want to come on and, and go in more detail, but I think there's a misconception. The deed of trust is the term that's used for the trust regarding what otherwise we think of as a mortgage. That's separate from the ownership of the trust. Uh, the fact that the mortgage is paid off, uh, I say, you know, celebrate and either sell the house, refinance it, or do whatever you want with it, but enjoy it cash-free. There's nothing, there's nothing special about a... Um, property being paid off in full or not being in a trust. Is there, uh, Joshua? Not necessarily. My, my best advice would be call your favorite realtor or attorney. It takes 10 minutes to just double check the title, even less actually, right. you know, two, min two minutes. Right. We can quickly double check and confirm it's still in your trust uh, if you have a concern. The only reason I suggest that, and Bill is absolutely right, a traditional reconveyance would have no effect on the trust. The only reason I suggest that is I don't know what's happened from your original mortgage to now this reconveyance. If you've right. done a couple refis or lines of credits, they might have pulled it out of the trust at some point. And so it's always worth double checking and, and avoiding a big court case after after you pass away. And it's a quick check. Um, so call your favorite realtor or attorney and, and we'll help you. Yeah. Well, and the realtor can pull the deeds and send that with the attorney to look at and, and review and, and get a professional opinion on um, okay, so last time, last time through housekeeping, uh, again, this is probateweekly.com. If you want to register, come in live on the Zoom. Love to have you ask questions. Uh, I, I've got a few more myself because I like talking to Josh, but uh, you're welcome to jump in, raise your hand, or put it in the chat box. If you're watching on the live stream, uh, uh, Kyle's all by himself in there. So feel free to, to join in, ask questions, and we're glad to share that with you guys as well. Um, and then we also uh, send this out. You can watch it live. Uh, I'm, I mean, on a recorded basis on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Feel free to like it, comment there. If you have comments, we'll circle back and catch those. And then just a couple quick notes. Also, continue the conversation on Facebook at the Facebook we have, which is Probate Weekly. Catchy name. That way it's easy to remember because I imagine most of us can't really remember the name. But we go there and you can um, uh, look for referrals around the country. You can look for attorneys. Uh, out of the area for looking for the, that uh, thing was there's other content there and then feel free to post your probate specific or estate planning content there and then we have a poll question this week if you're an agent that is cold calling or mailing to probate filing cases which data source provider do you use and love to see your input there and share that with everybody the goal there is just to be the resource for uh, agents and investors on probate my link tree lnktr.ee slash bill gross has all my latest activities if you want to find out more about me. But one in particular I want to point out is my email um, marketing masterclass, which is going to be on October 10th. Uh, it's going to be a small group of people. It's only $97. I'm going to show you how to 16 times the impact of your marketing 
to your best clients. And that's how I run my business. I'm gonna show you some of those insights as well. And again, a guest today is Josh Ramirez at the CaliforniaEstatePlanningServices.com. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. And there's a phone number if you want to call. He's, I think the nice thing is he's offering to um, take phone calls and uh, if he has some scenarios to play along with that. Okay, before I go on, a uh, hand up from one of our favorites and regulars, Winston Covington. Let's get you, uh, there you are, unmuted. What's going on, Winston? Hey, Bill, thanks for the opportunity to ask Joshua a question. Josh, since you're a local Orange County guy, I used to visit the probate court. Bill has always talked about that. I always found it very educational. I go back to the days when the probate court was on the city drive in Orange, then it got bounced over to Civic Center there in Department 8. But I haven't been there, man, since COVID hit, because everything got locked down. Are you still dealing with the majority of the hearings here via Zoom? Are they doing much live? Because I would love to get back in there. Yeah, primarily 99.9% .9 of my hearings are still on Zoom. That's because we can go in, but I think we've all gotten accustomed to doing it this way. The other thing too is we get to we don't have to bill as much. We traditionally, before COVID, we'd bill to go to the courthouse, coming back from the courthouse, waiting for our hearing the whole entire time. And that might be a four hour event that we have to bill for just to get a continued date. Um, nowadays, I can just show up, do work on other things, you know, show up for those 20 minutes, talk to the judge and I hang up and I didn't have to charge to travel. So it's still Zoom, but uh, people are appearing. Uh, now the courthouse has moved to Costa Mesa. Um, so that's where all the probates are gonna be for the foreseeable future. Um, not nice little courthouses at the old law school out there. And um, you can always go to the court website and appear, appear remotely. So as a member of the public, court is still public record. So you could click that link and just watch as long as you don't disrupt the court. Got it, thank uh, you, appreciate it. Of course. I, I will say just from a business point of view, uh, I think Josh is right, 99% of the time attorneys aren't gonna go in person anymore, 1% they will. Having gone a few times though, where it used to be 100 attorneys, it was crowded, everybody was kind of busy. When there's one attorney and he sees you as a real estate agent or anybody, he's like, hi, who are you? What are you doing? Like everybody's lonely in the courthouse. Even the judge, will, the few times I've gone, the judges will even say, well, hi, what brings you here? They never ask that question before COVID. They were too Absolutely busy. Right. Couldn't, pay attention, couldn't care less, but they're so nice. Now the judge, yeah, how can we help you? Bring, oh, that's really great. You know, and the other judge talking to you. So I do encourage everybody to go, even in bigger cities like LA, in Orange County, which are more remote, smaller counties, a lot of them have gone back to full in person. We are we are across the country here. So I would say you should go a couple of times just to meet people and see the layout of the land. And then I think Josh's um, points also well taken. If you're in a county like I am, where it's online, you should go online and watch it. Don't disrupt, don't keep your camera on wearing your underwear, but um, be smart. Exactly. It. And Bill is absolutely right. Because of the awkward, not that many people in the courtroom physically anymore, they will ask you your business, but that is A-OK. -okay. I'm just a member of the public wanting to see. Court, yeah. Courts are public records. Yeah, I, I mean- Yeah, I, you can, Bill? Yeah. So this is Jack. Uh, you know, you can also combine it where you, you go online and watch a few times and kind of get the lay of the land or, you know, the what it's like to be in there and sort of the, the etiquette is another thing to learn. It's also the same thing with when you go on online forums, you know, you kind of don't want to jump right in, you figure out the etiquette. And then when you're ready, you go in and you, and you kind of already know the feel, even though it's your first time there. A hundred percent. And I know for realtors, sometimes we're going to go 
when there's a like an auction for a probate uh, court confirmation sale, learning the etiquette, you know, you're, yes, your honor, no, your honor, just learn that one from the beginning and never argue with a judge. If you just figure those two things out when you start, it'll save you the embarrassment of being hammered by the judge. <laughs> Certainly in LA, Orange County, I think they're a little nicer, but LA County, they're not very patient at all. So. <laughs> all, all our judges are very nice. <laughs> well, you have to say that, so I'm not as quite as I, I say they're nice, but I say in LA, I think they're busier or they're they're uh, a little less patient because they got more to cover in LA. You know, they, they are very busy, but what I will say, and to give all of our judges, especially in, in the local four counties, LA, San Bernardino, uh, Orange County, and and uh, Riverside, those four counties, the judges do go a little bit above and beyond with with pro per litigants or pro per yeah. people going through probate. So when you're yeah. by yourself and you don't have a lawyer. They will give you some a little bit extra time, um, but they're they're busy judges. They they gotta turn and burn these cases too. Yeah, definitely. Don't do not hold them up. Um, that that's definitely um, the program. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Jack, and thank you, Winston. Always nice to see both you guys. Two of our good friends. Okay, so I think I'm up to date on questions. Oh, what would you? Here you go. This is a classic question. Also, so as you can imagine, Joshua, every real estate agent. You know, looking to build a business, wants to do business development, one of the obvious sources are attorneys. I always feel like they understand we all imagine that you attorneys sit on a golden throne and just pass out probate listings like they're candy. But we need to understand is most or many of your uh, cases come to you from real estate agents. Like the best way to get your business is to bring you business. So the that, question is asking. So the question is asking is, what's the best way, if you were to advise somebody who's a real estate agent who want to get involved in probate business, what would be the, the best way to develop their business development? What would you recommend them to do? Yeah, that's exactly right, Bill. So we're, we're not sitting on a throne of, you know, even if, even if you find a law firm and you know they have 45 probates in court right now, we don't have 45 referrals. You, you know as well as I do, the family always has a realtor. The family always has a cousin there or somebody or somebody's going to do it for five percent there's always someone but i will say probate attorneys like myself is still a great traditional way to network we still do give out referrals and people do come to us not knowing what to do we have out-of-state clients just saying i don't know get it sold for me josh uh figure it out do the probate um so so absolutely talking to probate and, and estate attorneys are good litigation attorneys and and so trust and probate litigation attorneys would be also very good and also elder law attorneys and so the reason i bring up these categories the litigation attorneys oftentimes a settlement's going to end up with the house being sold um or there's not enough cash to litigate and, and so something's going to sell similarly with elder law attorneys some of the conversations are nursing homes and needing to sell the home for nursing home benefits and those kinds of conversations. So you, you might want to talk to elder law attorneys as well. Now, where do you meet them? So where, where you can meet them is at the local county bars. So Orange County, for example, there is a section for Orange County uh, state planning attorneys. There's a section for the Orange County elder law bar. There's the Orange County solo uh, practitioner bar and solo practitioners would be a great referral source for realtors. Um, you know, we don't have a big firm. We don't have 25 guys and, oh, my partner's are a real estate agent himself. We don't have that nonsense. So um, smaller and single firms are, are a great idea. Um, outside just of the bar, it, just cold calling and grabbing coffee. Um, now, we're all busy where we can't spend an hour in doing that. But, you know, a quick 10-minute meet and greet kind of thing and, and getting your name out there, keeping you top of mind matters. Um, 
Yeah. Just to clarify those who don't know, when he refers to the bar, he doesn't mean a bar you go to drink at. The bar refers to the uh, association of attorneys is referred to as the bar. So there's a, because you're at the bar at the at the courthouse, there'd be like a bar, you could go uh, past the bar. So he's not saying go into bars and pick up on attorneys. <laughs> Though maybe there's some there, I guess. Uh, <laughs> They'll be there after five or after three for some of them. You may not want their business, but there's some that'll be there. Um, and so, um, so it's interesting you say possibly cold calling, reaching out. Seems to me that um, attorneys um, are more likely than the average business professional to be at networking organizations. It seems to me that's more of a common business practice than any other. Is that a, a fair statement? That that's a very fair statement, Bill. And in fact, you just made my light bulb go off. That uh, another great place is to find the find the sources where attorneys go, where the estate planning attorneys are going for their conferences. As an example, now there's an extreme example, but the Heckerling Institute, they, they perform this tax thing every year and you can go there and see nationwide attorneys. You, know, you can go hyper-local, um, find drafting softwares. Well, what, what, what do estate planning lawyers use to draft their trusts? And go to those conferences, a great example. Wealth Council is a, is a very pre, pre, uh, predominant drafting software that, that makes us very good lawyers. Uh, I can't say enough good things about them. They have a they have a symposium once a year that is filled to the brim of three, four hundred attorneys, a lot from California because they're California and, and Colorado based, um, but a lot from nationwide. You're going to hand out tons of cards. You're also going to get a lot of eye rolls. We already have our realtors we work with and they're going to, you know, but you never know who you meet. Meeting those younger attorneys as well was, is key. Um, and just as an aside that I've been approached with is Sometimes discussion of, of commissions and, and um, for lack of a better term, kickbacks. Um, now, attorneys can't give any commissions to non-attorney non realtors, but uh, if it's structured and disclosed right, sometimes there is you know, gifts and exchanges. So as long as it's all ethical for, for your bar and the real estate agents and it's disclosed to the client, that's a possibility that can help sell attorneys to refer to you too. But, um, yeah, I, I, it's that's tough finding attorneys, but but estate planning attorneys are are great. You, you need to be talking to them as realtors. Fantastic. One of the areas I want to talk about as we have a few minutes to wrap up on is medical planning, um, and so in an estate plan, the goal is to avoid having the medical expenses. But if you don't have the assets and you're going to qualify, explain how that works and what some of the considerations are in the planning. Sure. Now, Medi-Cal law, if, if anybody's listening that has traditional knowledge of it, it's in big fluctuation. It changed pretty dramatically back in uh, 2016, 17, somewhere around there, if I recall correctly. And then it, it changed again uh, last summer, and it's changing again next summer. So currently, um, well, actually, I'm going to just tell you what it's going to be because it's just a few short months away. So in a few short months away, the proposed rules say there is no asset test for Medi-Cal, which means people can get on Medi-Cal. Uh, seemingly, Bill Gates can get on Medi-Cal. I don't exactly know all the what, what the nuances are going to be. I can't imagine the state of California is going to give out Medi-Cal for everybody. We'll go broke in a month. I, I got to imagine there's going to be some sort of residency or in, income limit. There, there's going to be some more uh, limits. That's only qualifying. Once you're on Medi-Cal, the state of California can absolutely claw back and, and grab everything that they've paid out uh, for your benefit, 18 and up. Um, typically, they go uh, what they were paying for you in nursing homes. Hello. Now, the, the, the new rule is that you can get 
you do not have to pay the government back if if um, if you are on Medi-Cal and you pass away as long as your assets avoid probate. It's a very broad sweeping rule. We used to have to set up these fancy, very expensive, irrevocable trusts. Now, a regular every old day trust will avoid paying back Medi-Cal. Joint tenancy will even avoid paying back Medi-Cal. There's tax yeah. problems with, with different things, but lots of ways to skin that cat and avoid paying back Medi-Cal now. So again, definitely worth it if you have if you don't have insurance for nursing home care, then Medi-Cal ends up an option that can supplement what you're doing or be part of it. So part of the estate planning is how are we going to manage that and make sure we don't end up giving back more money than we save on that. So definitely something to think about when you do your estate planning. Okay, look, I think we checked off my list for today. I really appreciate your time, Josh. Um, it's really it's always a pleasure to talk to you, just a, a fountain of knowledge. Um, and again, the best place to reach you is at California estateplanningservices.com. He is in Orange County, the north end of the OC, 714-584-5009. We'll put the information in the description wherever you're watching this. Uh, and just thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for having me. Uh, like Bill said, we're available for clients. We're in North Orange County. We're hyper-local. Uh, last thing I want to mention that makes me unique uh, over every other attorney you'll talk to. The only attorney who will make house calls with no consultation fee. Your parents do not have to get dressed up and drive and make a whole rigmarole to come see us. I go to you. You have kids at home that are running around crazy while you're making dinner. I'll be at your kitchen table and let's chat. The kids, the mess, none of that matters. I can be in a nursing home. I'll be in the hospital. I'll be at your house. But we're very unique in that standpoint, and we don't charge extra for it. Wow. Wow. Good to know. Yeah. Joshua, thank you so much for your time today. Again, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank well, you, Bill. Some... Thank you, everybody. And again, this is Probate Weekly. We do this every Thursday. That was great, wasn't it? I, he's just a really nice guy. And I saw him on somebody else's podcast. I was so jealous. Like my first reaction was, gosh, I like that guy a lot. I said, you know what? But I wonder if I call him and invite him on my uh, podcast. He would come on. I want to share him with you guys. So I know I got a lot of it. I hope you guys did too. Um, we do this every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can come on live, probateweekly.com. Yeah, you're right, David. That is a USP. Being able to go out and see people, that's phenomenal. And I think as realtors, we kind of relate to that, right? Like we relate to doing what it takes to serve the customer, knowing the money kind of works itself out. And that's what really attracted me to him in the first place. So thanks so much. Love to see you guys. If you're on the live stream, say hi, put a comment in there, uh, thumbs up or like it or subscribe or wherever you're on. And uh, I'm at Bill Gross Probate on social media. Next week, we're going to do a broadcast of one of our prior best uh, attended episodes. I'll be back and see you guys in two weeks. I'm going to EXP Con. If you're an EXP agent, uh, make sure you say hi, reach out to me, and hope to see you there. Thank you so much, everybody.